Welcome back, friends, nerds, librarians, and all you ilk to episode 18 of the SS Librarianship Podcast. We're very happy to be back with you in 2014. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> back in Canada, where it is cold and raining. Oh, it's so rainy. It's so rainy. Yeah. Oh, well. That's what we get. That's what we get for coming home. Uh, it's true. Yeah, your mom was not happy, hey? Nope. The transition from Arizona to nope. Vancouver at this time of year. She was not having any not of it. Not super great. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a good one for you today. Fairly low key. Mm -hmm. Just we the two of us. get into some post-holiday mind grapes mm -hmm. and uh, cover a lot of ground there, actually. Which is we, we do, yeah. We, we were able to get a lot done, I think, over the holidays, nerd-wise, mm -hmm. because we weren't doing much school-wise. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, we've got a Class Z for you with a little bit of sort of bits and bites of various things. So pre-holiday professional development, post-holiday professional development, and uh, a little on the courses and work that we're doing this upcoming semester. Yeah, it should be it should be a pretty good term. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to uh, excited to kick off our our library careers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the other part of this mm. term. If you hear us getting a little strained as the term goes on, it's because <laughs> there's work, there's school, there's also actually trying to find real ass jobs. <laughs> <laughs> For which we will competing. So, you know, um, there's that whole, should we get the Star Trek fight music? The no. <laughs> so one of us can fake our own death and then the other one will get the job and not it <laughs> we'll have to work out the logistics okay. of that one can do so i guess we should get this one started without further ado i'm ali sullivan and do not talk to me about the dragon's fire i know it's wrath and the sufferings it causes and i'm sam mills and i prefer to think of myself more as a guestage <laughs> So we've been back for about a week. Oh, I've only been back a few days, I guess. No giant assignments yet? No, not yet. So what have you been watching or reading or listening to or playing or whatever? Life was uh, over over the Christmas holiday. Um, your, your roommate, Emily, who's been on the Halloween episode of the show, mm -hmm. uh, she recommended a book to me. And uh, it's called Warbreaker. Uh, by Brandon Sanderson, and um, you know, it's uh, I when I was going into it, I was expecting it to be you know your your fairly regular um, fantasy fair kind of stuff and magic, and then you know it took me about a third of the way to get into the book, but then uh, once I got about a third of the way in, this thing happens, and it completely caught me off guard, and it made the book the rest of the book like super awesome. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're usually good at guessing what's going to happen next yeah right? i'm one of those really annoying people who uh will lean over to you in the middle of the movie and well not you sam because i know how you feel about people bothering you <laughs> in the movie theater but to other people <laughs> and uh be like oh this is gonna happen next or that guy's gonna die or oh that girl is gonna say this and that and the other thing and i'm you know 60 <laughs> percent of the time it works every time. <laughs> so <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> so you know, I'm one of those people who's really annoying about what we call my husband. And I call it plot intuition. Mm. Like I have pretty good plot intuition. I can usually see twists coming and I'd be like, "Yep." And uh, I'm one of those people who really loves being able to say, "Called it." When something happens in a movie. I get excited about that because it happens so rarely for me. Because <laughs> my, like, if you did a little table of my enjoyment of a thing versus my ability to predict what's going to happen, like, the more I enjoy it, the less I'm able to predict because the more I'm just completely absorbed. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I really enjoy things that I don't see coming because it happens to me fairly rarely. So when mm -hmm. it when it does actually happen and something in a book or in a movie or in a game like really catches me off guard or I can't tell what's going to happen next and I get really invested because you know the first half of the the first third or so of the book I was just like oh I know what's going to happen this guy's color magic human gods whatever uh, and then, then you know this thing happens you're like <laughs> what nice. and then you realize that you know the whole world is much more complicated and insidious than it originally seemed and it was um it was a really great book so i'm gonna be turning to emily for more book recommendations yeah she's got i'm always eyeing her shelf which we're looking <laughs> at right now and she's got some interesting stuff over there she's also got lots of women sci-fi writers which yeah is sort of a 
a need in my personal collection. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, you know, if you're looking for, for a nice little book to get through a war breaker by Brandon Sanderson is, uh, is really good. I don't know how old it is. Um, but, mm. uh, but it is, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Alrighty. Awesome. What have you been up to bud? Um, well, I've been doing a little bit of reading. Uh, I finished Mad Adam, which was Ooh, the final book Mad in the Oryx and Craig. Did you buy series. it or get it from the library? No, my mom bought it on her Kindle app, so I logged in as her on my Kindle app. Bad librarian. But um, it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Really fitting into the series. It starts a little slowly. The first couple of chapters, you're kind of like, why am I seeing these weird flashbacks to Zeb surviving in the wilderness? Mm-hmm. But it makes sense eventually, and it's a really, really nice end to the series. Yeah. Yeah, I really. I really books. like Toby, and most of the final book takes place in Toby's head, and so oh, I remember that, that was really great. She's a really good guide to the the post chaos world, and you get more involved with the Quakers, and mm-hmm. that's mostly done through her perspective. So, really, really well done. Um, I remember you saying that you felt like those second couple of books were kind of preachy. And I can see it. But oh well, yeah. I think everything Margaret Atwood writes has a certain element of preachiness to it. Um, I didn't find it preachy. I found it certainly to be making some really interesting and some tongue-in-cheek, some quite sincere comments on the directions we're going in as a society. Yeah. But I felt it fit really well with the story. Like I, okay. I would call it preachy if it was sort of over and above what was necessary for the plot. But I, I think suppose. she did a good job of, yeah keeping the plot first and foremost. I don't know. I guess some of the issues she talks about, especially in the first book, are things that I'm just kind of like, but that sounds that sounds awesome. Like those genetically engineered chicken things. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah. I want to eat those. The chicken knobs. Chicken knobs. I would, you know, if it's, you know, if you're not actually having, if I'm, I don't know. I'm one of those people who's like, people freak out way too much about GMOs and stuff like that. But um, well, I don't know if she was necessarily sort of, Casting a judgment on people like Craig and people who created the chicken knobs as being sort of one cast mm. of people. I think the problem mm. was the fact that they were a cast and that there were other casts below them who weren't yeah. doing so well. I think you could still have the chicken knobs and maybe not have an apocalypse and not have this horrible <laughs> underclass situation. So yeah. maybe she's not condemning them as well. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, maybe maybe she's not preachy necessarily, but I, there are a couple of other things that in those books that I find just a little bit kind of like, this is clearly a, mm. especially in the first book, like I'm like, this is clearly a middle-aged woman writing teenage boys. Like they did yeah, not. Yeah, and I did find that once she started to write Ren in the second book, who's yeah. a young woman, and once she started to write Toby, who's a middle-aged yeah. woman who's been yeah. through some shit, she is great. they became much more relatable and believable characters. And of course, mm-hmm. I mean, I as a female, Female reader probably related to them more than I did to Jimmy or Craig either, mm-hmm. but I think she also was able to write them with a bit more depth. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, but my my love for that book far outweighs the criticisms that I have for it. Uh, you know, it's there was a post on Tumblr about like you can love something and still have critical things oh, yeah. to say about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, like I don't I don't know if they're perfect books, but I really really do enjoy them. Yeah, no, and I would say that um, anyone out there who hasn't read Mad Adam yet and is is planning to, it is a satisfying end to the series, which does doesn't always happen when you're enjoying a series <laughs> and it comes to an end. So that was really good. But you should read the first two first. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the first one is, uh, of course, Oryx, Oryx and, Craig. and Craig. And then The Year of the Flood. Mm-hmm. And then Mad Adam. Those are, yeah, those are really fun. Mm-hmm. I need to read Mad Adam. Um, yeah, but that's sort of the last novel I read. I'm working on uh, some nonfiction right now. I'm reading Ratio by Michael Rollman, which maybe I'll come back to at a later date after I've tried some things <laughs> out of it. But it's uh, it's essentially a cookbook. But it's sort of an anti-recipe book. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very experienced chef, and he knows a lot yeah. of experienced chefs. And he basically is going through all the major groups of things that you can cook on your own at home, which is essentially, you know, f- any type of food. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the ratios involved. So basically his argument is if you have a kitchen scale and a little bit of skill, you can create your own recipes for things like bread or pasta mm-hmm. or soup stocks or you know anything under the sun basically cookies uh if you know the ratios of the flour to liquid to fat or you know whatever else the content is and so Mm. i'm gonna try some things out of there i'm gonna try making bread and pasta at home (laughs) and see how it goes (laughs) but it's a very inspiring book he writes with a lot of passion about food yeah no i've 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 read i've i think i've read reviews or i've seen people talk about that book and it's it's a really interesting concept Mm, for sure i think basic cooking skills are one of those things that should I don't know. I, like a home ec, I think, is actually still fairly important. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should be 
gendered by any means, but like, you know, I think that, that teaching people how to how to do things like cook are is vital. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't a big I wasn't a big cooker until. Um, well, until really I stopped cooking for one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. love cooking for one. I mean, I suppose oh, I I've had for to for large periods, and so I do. But I, I actually really enjoy it. <laughs> See, if it's just me by myself, I'll, like, eat a can of tuna <laughs> and some yogurt. And that'll be my oh, dinner. Oh, that's boring. But, like, but, you know, like, when I really started um, learning how to cook, and my, my brother's a chef, so cooking runs very deep in my family. Mm. Like, we always make really crazy elaborate meals and um one of the biggest things that i think everyone needs to learn this ratio sounds good but everyone should really learn knife skills mm -hmm. and you know and people need to realize that you know you, you need your knives to be super super sharp because yeah. you will hurt yourself way more badly with a dull knife than you will with a sharp one. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's really interesting. I'd be interested to see how your yeah. experiments turn out. Yeah, I've still I've read um breads pasta and pies at this point oh god i can't make pastry to save my life well there's actually some interesting tricks in there one of which is uh to keep the butter very very cold and even frozen and then you, you cheese can. grater it that's the only success i've ever had and so i'm thinking that with your hot hands uh, problem i do have a hot hands problem. maybe keeping the butter in the freezer would be a way to go but anyway we'll uh, we'll report back maybe after we've tried some things out of that book um movies what movies did you see over the holidays uh well uh we went and saw the hobbit uh so desolation of smaug so good i really enjoyed it and really uh, really solidly done not just because we went to there's this theater in arizona oh my god it's called the eye pick <laughs> <sighs> so it's expensive mm -hmm. you pay 25 bucks for the seat so, you know, it's like you make it a legit and The Hobbit was the perfect one to see because it's such a freaking long movie. Yeah. But you get this like basically a giant easy chair to yourself that reclines electronically. It's got an Ooh. electronic recliner. You get silently. It kind of makes of the slightest little noise. So it doesn't disrupt uh, movies. OK. It doesn't, it doesn't, well, you should recline before the movie starts. <laughs> but you know, you get a blanket. And then on top of that, they do have a full kitchen. So you can actually order food and beer. And I mean, we don't get a lot of like, I don't like to eat a hamburger while I'm watching a movie. That's weird. <laughs> but, you know, like they they give you popcorn. Popcorn comes with the twenty five dollar seats. So you've got popcorn. Um, but, yeah, you can like sit and have a beer and this giant chair and a blanket. And it's so comfy. And it's it sounds nice. So um, I have to the movie just because it was like the 48 frames or the 3D. Uh, we saw 3D, and it was really strange 3D because the one that it's a different, it was like a different kind than I'm used to. Hmm. So the ones that we have up here in Canada is, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but they were these, the ones that we saw with are these weird glasses that had like a little sensor on them, and if you covered the sensor, the 3D would turn off. Um, weird. Yeah, so it was like a different kind of 3D. Okay. Like a different brand mm -hmm. or something that just this, this theater used. Yeah, because here um, we have Real D, right? Yeah, yeah, up here we have Real D. It wasn't Real D. It was mm -hmm. something else. Um, but uh, but regular, yeah, I saw 3D. 24 frames? I couldn't tell you. Well, you, you would know <laughs> if you'd seen it in 48 frames, Well, it, um, which, is, which is awful, I think. But there's a lot of strong opinions on both sides. I so have some friends who loved the first one in 48 frames. What what makes the 48 frames different? Well, it's it's literally like you're seeing twice as many frames in every second okay. of film okay. as you ordinarily would. So essentially it makes it very very smooth. So when you're watching like an HD nature documentary mm -hmm. or or actually a lot of British television is mm. done in 48 frames or in, uh, I think, 240 hertz or whatever. whatever I don't is, know yeah. a lot about the technical specs of it. But essentially it makes it super, super smooth. Um, so there's no blur and everything is in focus. And it's actually really, really distracting. Like, if it looks fake to me. And I think oh, okay. part of that is just having been conditioned by watching 24 mm. frames per second movies and television my whole yeah. life. But I really don't like it. <laughs> well, I'm not a big fan of 3D movies in general either. Yeah. So, I mean, part of part of seeing that movie, too, was the 3D was it was a different kind of 3D than I'm used to. So mm. I think I'm finally getting used to the real D 3D. And now they <laughs> threw this other thing at me and yeah. I'm like, I don't know. So there no, were when, some issues. When we went to see it, we went to see it in no 3D, regular 24 frames per second. And it was beautiful <laughs> and it was still really like i mean the 
the big action sequences, um, the scene with the barrels when they're leaving the <laughs> Woodland Elven Kingdom, scene. which people will remember both from the book, and if you've seen from the movie, you'll definitely remember it. It was yeah. fantastic. I really done. enjoyed it. Everything was so fast, and 24 frames was fine for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's a little excessive. <laughs> so do we want to throw in our two cents about uh, the addition of I a think female we elf? So I went into this movie after almost all of my friends had seen it. And there was a lot of conversation over Christmas with my Squamish nerds about uh, the addition of Evangeline Lilly's character, Toriel, mm-hmm. who doesn't appear in the original novel. And people really don't like the fact that she's in there. And when I finally saw the movie... I couldn't believe the fuss that was being made over what yeah. amounts to maybe four, four and a half minutes of screen time She's over the course of a three-hour movie. And eventually, Lily did a fantastic job Wonderful. acting that role, fitting into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she did a better job, arguably, than Orlando Bloom did in reprising <laughs> Legolas. Yeah. And I really enjoyed this story with her and, was it Keely? I think so, yeah, it was Keely. Yeah. I really enjoyed that because it wasn't, a romance at first and it hasn't really developed into anything either it's just sort of a yeah. nice connection between two people on opposite sides of something who have something in common yeah you know i actually really loved her as well mm. and i i loved the it's just it's just the the nature of representation i mean you need to see yeah. women on screen to be able to you know for for a lot of people to get to get in on it you know it's been to a have while a since i read the original novel of the hobbit but my well, understanding yeah. is that bilbo's mother is mentioned in the first chapter and that's it for ladies yeah no there's there's no women in that book at all and someone told me maybe it was you that there was a there was someone you knew or you yourself went to the theater and there were like a bunch of little girls dressed oh, I think up it was something in, i saw on tumblr yeah. actually um that yeah someone said they went to go see the movie and there were a bunch of little girls in the sitting in the front row all dressed up as warrior female elves which yeah. i'm like that's great it's and fabulous. i love that they made her such a physically capable character yeah that she was more than and it's funny there's something really wrong with all of us that what's getting harped on is her few small moments connecting with Keely because most of her role in the movie is as the captain of Thranduil's guard fighting really effectively. Killing orcs. (laughs) So it's so strange that, uh, that, yeah, because she's a woman, we focus on that rather than focusing on the fact that she brought something to the movie. That probably there would have been some captain of the elven guard, so Mm -hmm. why not make it a female? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that they were kind of playing the playing a tiny bit of love triangle i don't hate a love triangle with the whole like you know she legolas really likes her and she really likes legolas but lee pace is a dick unfortunately so (laughs) although i love lee pace oh my god Uh, oh i mean i can't i don't like the blonde hair on lee pace (laughs) no he was very uh, good at what they got anyone who follows me on tumblr will know <laughs> that uh, my obsession with Lee Pace runs. Yeah, deep. no, I think I mean, and it's something that comes up again and again. I'm sure I've told the story on this podcast before of going to see the first Iron Man movie and um, sitting next to these people who were there with a like three or four year old child, mm-hmm. and the whole opening sequence where uh, people are being shot at and vehicles are blowing up and people are dying. They had no problem with their child watching this. Cut to the scene where Tony Stark is kissing a reporter. They're both fully dressed. No hanky-pankies going on. And they cover the kid's eyes. And that, to me, is just (laughs) emblematic of this problem we have where no one cares about how many orcs' heads were brutally cut (laughs) off. But people care that there was four minutes spent on a love triangle. It it makes no sense to me. There's nothing wrong with adding a little romance to a story like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's... For the people who are, you know, purists and saying that they should be following the book, they've already deviated so far from the book anyway yeah. by including the necromancer and, and all that story and Radagast and all that fun stuff. And which I think, I mean, if you're going to spread one book into three, three hour long movies, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do a little bit of adding. And, and quite I, frankly, I'm a Tolkien fan, but I'm not the kind of Tolkien fan who's going to read the Silmarillion. So I appreciate <laughs> seeing the contents of it on the screen. I think I've that's read, great. I've read some of the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion actually has some really badass women in it um well then maybe this is their way of trying to distill them (laughs) as well overall i think that she was a that character was a great addition i think and the whole movie did an amazing job with it absorbed the whole time and she was definitely part of that and i'm a big lost fan so i wasn't sure how i was going to deal with you know seeing kate as an elf but it totally didn't phase me at all i was totally absorbed yeah i was i remember reading an interview with her and she had pretty much after lost had kind of 
retired from acting mm. she was like i don't really want to do it anymore like i don't want to i don't want to act anymore it's not really something i'm interested in and then they approached her to play um an elf yeah. on in the tolkien movie and she's a giant tolkien fan mm -hmm. so she's a nerd guys she's one of us yeah she's one of our people yeah and uh not yeah. to mention canadian that too <laughs> yeah she's our people in more ways than one yeah. um but so yeah, yeah that was so great. she was, she great was like she's like yeah i'll do that i want to do that for sure definitely and so she kind of came back to it and she's had some really great things to say about the addition of that character and how it, how unacceptable it is for a movie in our day and age to have no female representation and yeah, it was really, yeah. that yeah. if other things about the film, like the look of it and the structure of it and the spreading it into three parts and, you know, the dialogue and whatever else are going to be products of our time, then the representation in it should be products of our time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Indeed. <laughs> so what else do we have to talk about? I've been playing a video game, which <laughs> never happens. Samantha Mills. <laughs> well, I never. We're actually recording this uh, Saturday afternoon on the heels of um, some people who follow us on Tumblr will have seen me uh, blogging about my deaths. In <laughs> <laughs> I've been at work all day, man. In Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, which I'd have to reach for the case to find What's the copyright date, but I want to say 98. Okay, I'm going to go reach 97? Mine. Definitely like post season four of Voyager, but not much post. What do we got? Oh, seriously, 2001. Yeah, uh, that's great. All right. Well, it's the PS2 version, so maybe maybe the <laughs> earlier PC version came out earlier. I don't know. Yep. But uh, yeah, the graphics are, you know, not up to today's standards. I'm sure Theo would just cringe and cringe <laughs> and cringe. But I always wanted to play this game back in the day. And right. I have a PS2 sitting in my apartment, and we found it on eBay for 20 bucks. So <laughs> I went for it. It's been pretty fun so far. That's awesome. So <laughs> what's the what's the storyline? And what are you, what are um, you? So you are part of the Hazard Team. Which Ooh. is this elite force within Tuvok's security crew One that's been blast mustered from destruction. up uh, because of things like encountering the Borg and the Delta Quadrant and mm -hmm. whatever. They feel they need more of a force than just their regular security officers. So the first level, which is all I've played so far, is you in a Borg cube rescuing your teammates from cool. having been captured. Pretty fun. I'll report back because it will probably take me a long time to beat it, if ever, because I am not like, I've been having trouble with the whole, you know, how on the PS2 you move with one of the little joysticks yeah, and you, you view with the steer other. and view with the other. I yeah. gog, it took me forever <laughs> to get that down and I'm still not totally there. I tried to teach my mother how to do that. It just made her nauseous. <laughs> um, so this is Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. The tagline is set phasers to frag. Jason may or may not have had to explain to me what frag means. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what about you? Well, what I've have been, you been uh, gaming? I've been gaming a little bit. Um, you know, still, still plotting my way through the Zelda game. I'm, I'm pretty much finished with that one. I just have to beat Ganon at the very end, and mm. then I'll be finished. Um, but I started playing a game that was given to me by my little brother for Christmas um, over Steam, which is a game called Contrast. So far, it seems really interesting. Um, so your character, in contrast, is this kind of shadow person. So you have a corporeal form, but adults can't see you. And you are interacting with this young girl. And yeah, so the adults can't see you, and you can't see them. You can only see their shadows. So you know, throughout the game, you have to play with shadow and light. And um, it's really interesting to play it on the heels of the new Zelda game, because one of the main mechanics in the new Zelda game is uh, the, the biggest conceit is that you can turn yourself into a painting. So, like, imagine you're on a ledge and there's a large gap between you and the next part of the ledge. Hmm. What you can do is you can turn yourself into a painting, stick to the wall, and walk along the wall oh, to get so to the other ledge. Oh, so you're physically a painting. You are physically a painting. When you were talking about this earlier, it sounded like you went into a painting. No, you become okay. a painting or, like, a drawing on a wall. Like, it's very cool. And you, like, shift your frame or whatever? Yeah, so you just kind of do this little weird, like, 2D scooty-scoot-scoot walk. <laughs> and uh, you can pop out of the wall on the other side. Hmm. And, you know, it'll do things like, so, like, if you get put in a jail, you can stick yourself to the jail wall and then sneak out through the bars because you're two-dimensional now. And, um, okay. yeah, contrast is, is really interesting because you, as this character, can turn into a shadow. So there's a lot of play with light and shadow. So... You know, if there's um, if there's a light shining on something that's creating a pattern on the on the wall, you can turn into a shadow and run up the other shadows. Me. 
Neat. Yeah, so I've just started playing it. The story seems very kind of, I think it's set in the sort of 1930s, 1940s film noir-y kind of stuff. Uh, so far, there's a lounge singer and a, and a grifter dad, and it's all kind of, uh, you know, shady business. But it seems really <laughs> cool. I haven't had too shady. much time to play it yet. <laughs> oh... You didn't do that oh, on purpose. I didn't do that on purpose at oh, all. I love it when you don't do it on purpose. <laughs> Shady business. Uh, <laughs> the worst. But um. But yeah, no. It seems. Ali's really face cool. is a very attractive shade of red. Right uh, now, folks. well, usually <laughs> is. Um. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like a really great game. I uh, haven't had too much time to play it yet, but uh, you know the term shouldn't pick up oh, yeah, too yeah, fast sure we'll and for a while. So. Opious amounts of time. Oh, this yes, so much time, and then come May, it's just going to be like hours and hours of mind grapes. <sighs> we're gonna have nothing to do. <laughs> Don't jinx us. <laughs> but yeah, so it had a really great holiday, and uh, it's nice to be back and yeah and stuff. So uh, got a lot done. Mm-hmm. Me too. I started to learn to knit over the holidays, mm-hmm. so I'll keep, I'll keep you all posted on that too. I can knit and purl, but I can't do anything more than that. Mm. Yeah, I'm starting with washcloths, but I'm gonna work to socks. Ooh, would you make me a pair of mittens? Sure. After I make myself a pair of socks, though. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Our professional development activities, uh, we did a few of them uh, right before we left for the holidays, and then Mm -hmm. we've done a couple since we've gotten back. So uh, this week on Class Z... Zed. We thought we would do more kind of little bite-sized vignettes, uh, talk about uh, the things we did before we left, the things we did this week, and uh, just talk about what we've got coming up this term. Mm -hmm. It's our final term of library school, so so it's going to be, I'm going to try to make it kind of uh, busy in a different way than I'm used to being busy. Hmm, What do you mean? I mean that uh, in in years past, I've concentrated a lot more on uh, classes, and this term, I'm only taking two. So, and I'm doing a professional experience project, so that's going to be really great. And, uh, but I'm also just trying to get involved in a lot of other stuff, you know, like trying to, trying to kind of glean as much as I can, uh, connections and, uh, actual experience wise, um, because the last two courses I'm taking are very, very good courses, but, uh, but, you know, not as, uh, they're more, uh, technical, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So not necessarily as like readings heavy, more just getting the assignments done, learning the concepts. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess in chronological order, the first thing <laughs> that we've done that we haven't talked about is uh, we attended the Alps meeting. Yeah, mm. so the Alps is a uh, offshoot of the British Columbia Library Association. Uh, it stands for Academic Librarians in Public Service, and they had their general meeting at UBC this year, so it was really easy for us to attend. Um, Sam and I are both student members of BCLA, so it was um, it was a really interesting event. So we got to meet some really cool academic librarians from around the around the province mm-hmm. uh, a few people did come in from you know far-flung places and um yeah just really great to to meet some people because yeah, it was interesting they made it into sort of a mini conference as well like they did a bunch of um not really lightning talks they were fairly involved presentations mm-hmm. but about various things that uh different academic librarians are doing across the province and they really all had an emphasis on service so on you know interactions and services for um students or mm-hmm. faculty or both so that was yeah. interesting yeah. my favorite talk was probably one that was given about um the perceptions of the one-off uh, education sessions that we librarians tend to do mm-hmm. so you know we usually are brought in for these one-off umbra parachute sessions where we just kind of parachute into a classroom and teach about something um one of the librarians was talking about an experience she had where she had to teach remotely um she had to actually give a class over skype so she was you know the the giant the giant oz head in the front of the classroom <laughs> and uh she had to she couldn't see them as i recall but they yeah could they see had, her, uh, they which had is some technical of, difficulties yeah. where she couldn't hear or see them but they could see and hear her so they had um you know they had a chat function someone was actually writing in questions through the skype chat if uh, if people had them and uh, she was just talking about how from her estimation she kind of told the the two sides of the story she talked from the perspective of the of the um teacher giving the class uh 
in Nanaimo, the who who really loved it. You know, she said, "Oh, it was great," and the students loved it, and it was so informative, and all this stuff. And then she said, but I feel like it didn't go well for me. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, she didn't really enjoy the experience that much. And she kind of felt that maybe it, it could, some things could have definitely gone better. So it was really interesting to kind of, because we, we do, of course, put out feedback forms when we do these kinds of parachute sessions. But it's, um, it's I think it's difficult sometimes to actually... Um, consolidate our opinions mm -hmm. of an experience with the opinions of others and or with the experiences of others so uh yeah i mean it's it's difficult at the best of times to do library assessment mm -hmm. meaningfully but when you're in a situation where you cannot see or hear the people <laughs> that you're trying to gauge the interest and like mm -hmm. uh, engagement of that's that's hard we've been talking about this at the public library that i work at a little bit because we're trying to figure out a more meaningful way to assess how things like computer skills workshops and social media workshops and internet workshops are actually affecting people's lives. So mm -hmm. rather than, you know, fill out this form at the end and tell us how the instructor did, would a more meaningful measure be to check in with those people two weeks or a month or two months down the road and ask, mm -hmm. how has this impacted your everyday life? Are you communicating more with your grandkids on Facebook? Are you using LinkedIn to find a job? You know, like how is this actually making an impact on you? And that would not only support those programs, but probably the library as a whole as well. Yeah, but then you have to kind of ask yourself at what point are you being invasive? I guess, but I don't know. I think a little bit of invasion <laughs> is worth it when it comes to, as long as there's an understanding between you and the patrons that the reason for that invasion is primarily to increase effectiveness of those programs. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of which, I think the part that I liked best at Alps was the presentation on the Mozilla Web Literacy Standards. Oh, yeah, that was really that interesting, That was really too. interesting. I didn't know that that existed as a thing. They talked a little bit about that at the uh, data camp meeting that I went to oh, okay. in November because um, there were actually people from Mozilla there mm. who, who gave a talk about... about um, they were talking about the badge systems, especially. Um, so, yeah, that was a really interesting one. Yeah, yeah, because, again, I mean, <laughs> I was thinking about this from a public library standpoint while sitting at an academic librarian's <laughs> meeting, but <laughs> it fits in very well with the work I'm doing there because I'm working in the sort of learning department and so we're talking a lot about how all of these different workshops fit together into a curriculum, how someone would move through them, how we can gauge their effectiveness, all of that and a lot of that would be served really well by a coherent set of standards mm -hmm. which in academic librarianship we have because we mm -hmm. have the um, ACRL yeah. literacy standards, right? Yeah. Whereas we don't really have that in a public library setting mm -hmm. sort of what are the like computer and internet literacies that average people need to know. There yeah. isn't really a coherent set of those. So it was really interesting to hear that Mozilla is developing them. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure that out. I really like Mozilla as a company. I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. Neat dudes. I think, yeah, like getting more librarians and instructors involved in something like that would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the second half of the meeting was just sort of your, your general uh, state, of the, state of the academic union, <laughs> I guess. Um, but we did also get to go on a nice tour of the Irving K. Barber Learning yeah, Center. Yeah, I missed that. So, but I hear it was uh, pretty fun. <laughs> it was interesting. Well, it was just funny because I work in that building. Mm. Um, that's where my reference desk is. That's where I sit several hours a week and uh, help people out. So I was just like, you know, I'll go on this tour. I'll see if I can learn anything anything about the place that I work <laughs> and I was actually called on to talk about a couple of things like the the Chung collection down in rare books and special collections which oh, I helped digitize cool. last summer and uh, a small small portion of because it's huge <laughs> um, so I talked a little bit about that but the uh, most exciting thing was at UBC in that building we have the automatic storage and retrieval system mm -hmm. so these giant robot arms that'll go grab books for you and <laughs> um, though I have uh, been down there before I've, I've never been down when a book request was actually coming in so I actually got to see the robot arm go and grab the bin and bring the bin to you it was magic <laughs> I've still never seen that it was robot I'm picturing magic. it as one of those you know like infinitely long corridors oh, science fiction movie they are like. they are vertiginous to the extreme <laughs> yeah no they're it's it looks like um <laughs> you guys keep thinking we're gonna find the ark of the covenant in there you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah just these, these well, some um, of those books have been down there for a while yeah it's true and or, or you know that uh, there's that episode of futurama where um you find out that fry's grandparents are or his or, um, no, you find out that Farnsworth's parents are still alive and they're in this like 
uh, cube farm thing, but their environment is being uh, kind of holographically created in their minds or whatever. Uh. Anyway, it kind of looks like that, where you know how you have these like big. Uh, the, the matrix pods <laughs> matrix pods you know <laughs> full of books and it was really really awesome. cool and it was um it was a fun it was a fun thing to see learned a couple more things about the the building that uh, that i thought i knew um so yeah i mean if you ever get a chance to take a tour of a place you think you know it's the I cool thing about libraries layers upon layers right from the public service component down to the robot arms like a parfait <laughs> everybody loves parfait <sighs> Uh, so yeah, that was a really, really interesting time. I liked being a part of that and <laughs> listening to them in the afternoon was really interesting too. Cause a lot of it was just a lot of these people are, I think sort of isolated in their day-to-day -day work. Like they mm -hmm. work at smaller institutions that don't have as many working librarians as somewhere like UBC or SFU here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so all of them getting together in a room and talking to their counterparts from other institutions became I think a little bit of a, a complaint session but in a good way right they got to sort of compare yeah. notes about how their management structures were this year and how they were dealing with their supervisors and colleagues and students and mm -hmm. that's really really important I remember hearing that in a special library context because you're often so isolated but it looks like it's important too as an academic librarian yeah especially for smaller institutions the other thing I was really interested to learn was how how differently the UBC Okanagan library operates yeah um, that's right we talked to Sarah a little who's one of the librarians there and she's yeah she's an interesting interesting lady yeah and I didn't yeah I didn't realize they had so much autonomy yeah they're, <laughs> they're kind so of, much uh, smaller yeah UBC has yeah. a has an offshoot campus in uh, in Kelowna which is a city uh, in the Okanagan about uh, it's what like a four or five hour drive yeah I'd say four or five hours yeah um and uh, so it's kind of our little satellite campus and they have a little satellite library and uh, apparently they have much more autonomy than we. Than I thought, anyway. Yeah, yeah, they're sort of, they're basically a whole separate library, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, they're doing some really interesting stuff up there, asking people what they want out of the library yeah. because they have such a small community. They're really able to do that in a really kind of one-to-one, -one meaningful students telling them what they want kind of way, <laughs> which is great. And I, I talked to her a little bit because um, if uh, if the Okanagan Library has a book that someone at UBC Vancouver wants, uh, you can order it. It'll come in a couple of days. And uh, I was talking to Sarah about the fact that UBC Okanagan has all the best books. <laughs> you know, I have uh, ordered books from them on multiple occasions. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't expect that the small offshoot has the better books, you know? Yeah, I remember that looking at the Giller Prize winners or Giller Prize um, nominees last mm -hmm. term. That most of them were in the Okanagan collection. And she so. gave me a good reason as to why. Hmm. Uh, she said the space that they have at that library is so small that they do a lot of what some, what a lot of other academic libraries don't, and they actually actively weed their collections. Ah, it's not so, just all down in compressed storage yeah, or in a big bunker somewhere, because it can't be. Exactly. So they actually, because of the space limitations and the number of students, like I think the, the, the university, the, the library they're using was made for a fraction of the students that they have now, um, mm -hmm. because it became a university, it became part of UBC, uh, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, I think not even. Not yeah. even. And uh, yeah, she was saying, so as an academic, academic librarians are usually, academic libraries are usually a bit strange in that we kind of keep everything and we're one of the few institutions that are still allowed or able to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, the sort of small institution attached, attached to the big one sort of makes that possible. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So that's why they have such a, such a highly relevant and highly circulating collection is mm -hmm. because they get rid of the things that aren't circulating widely or they send right. them to us to go in to the deep freeze storage and <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some there's a big bunker out in surrey right yeah but they're yeah. building the new one out at ubc so uh, they're going to get all okay. the stuff out of surrey that's right that's right yeah. so yeah that was sort of our last bit of professional development before the break mm -hmm. and then we came right back in and just to jumped in with both feet forward or whatever. yeah uh so the association for information science and technology which as our librarian listeners will know is a one of the big sort of umbrella professional organizations um the student group at UBC usually runs these cool tools days every month or so throughout the term mm -hmm. and last year they really fizzled out <laughs> well they're kind of a brown bag lunch thing if I understand right um Last year, we tried to combine them with like having a speaker, but ordinarily, they're just, let's get a bunch of students together to share interesting technological tools that they're using with each mm -hmm. other. And we really didn't have a lot of student involvement last year. Mm. So we decided to 
turn the tables on it a little bit. Instead of having a bunch of small events that were, you know, not that well publicized, we did a single event and we did it this week. So all the new people who were starting in our mm-hmm. program in January could get involved. And uh, we called it the Cool Tools Unconference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've talked on here before about um, Data Camp that we went to last year. Mm-hmm. I keep saying last year. Now it's actually last year. It is last year. Last February. And it was run like an unconference. And a lot of events in the library world seem to be kind of run by like that now. They're very participant-led. Yeah. And it was great. We ended up with seven topics, most of which were submitted by just regular students in our Mm -hmm. program. We had food. We had coffee. We... You know, had people sort of sit in groups and discuss the topics, and it was really clear and I think really effective as well that it was um, not a presentation on the part of the person who came up with the topic, that it was very much a discussion, what is this thing, how can we use it as librarians, as library students, Mm -hmm. why is it important, why is it problematic? And I learned some interesting stuff. Yeah, well, I got to, uh, we we did a session together in the first round of talks about podcasting, mm-hmm. which was really awesome. Um, and then I ran one in the second session about um, apps that uh, you can use as a graduate student for kind of your, kind of your, your success in your life. The I one actually didn't make it over there, so how did that one go? It went pretty well. Um, I had just a couple of things to talk about, and I was really hoping that people would jump in and talk about the things that they found useful and share. Um, the ones that I was really kind of rooting for um, is one particular app called Good Reader, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a PDF reader that you can take notes, you can annotate, and it's got a little, a lot of really great functions. So a lot of the readings we get at our school are not textbooks. They're usually articles that we can grab mm-hmm. from the UBC Library website and a lot of stuff that we can read in PDF format, which um, I really appreciate not having to purchase textbooks, obviously. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was, it was difficult for me as a student, uh, an English student who's used to annotating and marking up everything on paper to try to, to, try to figure out a way to to kind of capture that experience. And I think, I think the good reader is probably one of the best PDF readers out there. So mm-hmm. that was the one that I really wanted to push. Um, other people talked about the use of Evernote. Uh, a lot of people are really fond of that for note taking because it saves things to the cloud. Um, and uh, what else do people talk about? I also talked a little bit about uh, sketchbook pro, mm-hmm. which is a drawing app that I really like. I've done most of the uh, <laughs> SS librarianship logos on yes. that program. <laughs> which if you check out your, our website, website I think you'll see a new one this week <laughs> um, so we uh, we talked a little bit about that and I talked about the idea of using those kinds of uh, special touches on projects that don't take a lot more time but professors I think really appreciate like if you mm-hmm. if you design a logo for the thing you're doing or yeah. stuff like that so not that's to mention that's great practice do. because librarians are sort of jacks of all trades when it comes mm-hmm. to um, design of documents and and programs and things, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bit of circulation. A couple of people came in and went out, but uh, a couple of the people who did stay were rather new to the program, and it kind of ended up just kind of devolving into uh, me holding court with a bunch of noobs who were asking <laughs> me all kinds of questions about how to get jobs in library school and what happens then. So, you know, that's it's the thing about the unconference is it's very organic. It's conversation-based. Exactly. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be what you want it to be. So I didn't really mind. I didn't want to be like, well, let's get back on topic and talk about apps. Yeah, and it's funny, um, as a teacher and as a librarian now and all that, I really, there were a couple of moments where I heard things going on in the room where I thought, well, I'm the facilitator of this unconference. Should I step in and get people back on track? <laughs> and it, I, I really had to remind myself that the point of an event like this is to be participant driven and to a certain extent to focus on these topics, but also to make sure that that people are getting something personal out of it as well, that there's networking happening and networking is going to happen in those moments where you're talking about more personal stuff or stuff that's more important to you professionally. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad lots of that happened. I think some of those people who are starting the program this week probably at least have a bit of a leg up or at least some new people to talk to who aren't just Mm -hmm. in their cohort because this event happened when it did. So I'm really glad that it went off that way. Yeah, I think it was really successful. And um, the only thing that I was a little bummed out about was that I was running two sessions, so I couldn't couldn't (laughs) circulate. I had to kind of facilitate the conversation. So what went on at the other sessions? You can let me know. Um, Well, there were a couple of really interesting things. There was one on uh, open source alternatives to Adobe programs, which was really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, there was another talking about how to get SLACE students, the students in our library program, together to sort of share skills and learn more about Microsoft Office, especially about Excel, which seems to mm-hmm. be a really important program for librarians to know. Yeah. Um, and we talked about maybe even petitioning 
Susie on behalf of later students. She's the one who teaches the uh, information technology course that you take in your first semester of our program. And right Mm -hmm. now there's a PowerPoint assignment. And we were talking about how much more sense it would make for there to be an Excel assignment. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to try and get maybe get that moving but that would be for future students for Mm -hmm. ourselves for this term we're going to try and work up a bit of a study group Um, maybe interview some librarians about use cases for Excel and then Mm -hmm. try to focus on those to learn some skills together that would make a lot of sense yeah um, there were a lot of notes taken on the day and this weekend is sort of our time to get all those notes together (laughs) so I think unless anyone involved with the conference has an objection then I don't think they will because we're making those into open Google Docs there's no reason we can't share them with our listeners as well so if you're really interested in what went on at the unconference Mm-hmm. you can find out yeah <laughs> uh but yeah it was great uh there were yeah the open access button the i can has pdf <laughs> hashtag on uh, t- twitter which i recommend people check out mm-hmm. not necessarily the most like on the up and up situation that hashtag, <laughs> but it's a really interesting phenomenon for sure mm-hmm. um kind of highlights some library PR problems because there are some Mm. people using it to get a hold of documents who actually have access to those documents at their institutions. They just don't know that they do, which I think is on us as librarians to really publicize what the library can do for you. So let's uh, let's take a step back. What is ICANHASPDF? I don't know what this Uh, is. It's a hashtag people use on Twitter to essentially communicate to each other that they're trying to find this document in PDF form and they can't. Okay. And then other people will find it for them and share it with them, which is not necessarily strictly legal yeah i was about to say because they're probably not looking at the copyright on any of that stuff no Uh, so it's a problem but it's an interesting phenomenon (laughs) (laughs) and i think as librarians we kind of have to look at both sides of something like that we can't Mm -hmm. necessarily engage in it ourselves for you know professional integrity reasons but if it's happening then maybe we need to think about why it's happening especially because i think some studies have shown that a lot of the people using that hashtag have access at their home institutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just don't know it. And that's on us for sure. So. Is it mostly being used by academic life? Yes, academics, yeah, academics and students. And students. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Womp womp. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting to find out about. I didn't yeah. know about it until, until the other day. So definitely a successful event. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that I think I'm going to recommend to whoever takes up the <laughs> mantle next year when I'm no longer a Slay student because mm-hmm. I hope the event will happen again. Uh, things like, you know, having the Google Docs prepared beforehand so everyone can take notes in the same place. Mm-hmm. And we talked about maybe incorporating some lightning talks at the beginning of the day to kind yeah. of get people interested in the topics or even having a keynote speaker or something like that. But uh, but yeah, for a first time, it went really well. If any other library students out there are thinking of doing a similar event, please get mm-hmm. in touch with us because yeah. we can give you some maybe some tips or at least let you know how it went for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First tip would be don't forget the name tags at home. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a jerk. Yep. <laughs> uh, second tip would be only go overboard on the coffee and food if you know it's going to get eaten at the potluck that <laughs> night, because otherwise that might have been a problem. But uh, no, it was yeah really good for the most part, for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, we still ended up with, with name tags anyway. So yes, that's true. <laughs> raid your departmental <laughs> supply when in, when in doubt. Uh, yeah. But yeah, now we're well into the new semester, so yep. less events and more homework coming uh, our way. Boo. <laughs> what are you <laughs> taking this semester? Well, uh, it's for my last semester. I am taking it slightly easy. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not... Uh, Don't let Aaron hear you say that. Well, no, I'm. that's uh, my heart. Like, Well, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm taking cataloging this term is mm-hmm. because it's not that I'm going to take it easy. It's just that I'm going to be working very hard at that class because I'm only taking two formal courses right. this term. Um, I'm, I'm counting my credits. So uh, I'm taking the last required course. So in, in our program, uh, you are required to take two courses beyond the core. One of them is a library management course which mm. is hit or miss depending on who's teaching it hit miss um and there's a research methods course that is kind of teaching you the principles of social science research um i really should have taken that one near the beginning but i didn't so it'll still be <laughs> useful to have taken it at the end because Absolutely. one of the things he emphasizes in that course is that research should be a part of your professional life uh, yeah for sure so um so i'm taking those two as my formal courses and then for my third 
sort of a credit-based project, uh, we have the opportunity at our program to do professional experience projects. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam talked a lot about the one that she did last term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Information uh, Literacy Toolkit. Exactly. And um, I'm going to be doing one down in digital initiatives. Uh, there's a BC History of Nursing Society um, that's got an active community at UBC. And there are a few archival font from uh, one of the first, I think she was the first head of nursing at UBC, mm -hmm. and a couple of other significant figures in the history of nursing in our province. So um, they'd really like those to be digitized and put up on a website. So I'm going to be doing that. That's awesome. And one of the coolest things about that project is one of the things I will be digitizing is actually recorded interviews. So I will be doing oh, uh, digitizing. Multimedia digitization. Yeah. Nice. So I get to digitize some. I, I believe they might even be on reel to reel. Huh. I think they're uh, they're not necessarily cassette tape because I think they were done in the in the. 50s and 60s um, so I have to digitize those they have the equipment to do so in the digitization center of course but no one's really used it yet so one <laughs> of the exciting. main yeah one of the main products that I'll be actually uh, the deliverables that I'll be working on is a workflow a, for that hey? is a workflow for that That's and great. a and a best practices guide for the digitization awesome. of, of audio materials so yeah because they've got digital initiatives is great about putting some of those policies on their website but they mm -hmm. really only have them for like 2d materials at this exactly point, right? so I will I'm very much looking forward to that just looking forward to that one getting off the that ground sounds great but yeah but other than that I'm uh, heavily involved in our research day this year because mm -hmm. <laughs> the other uh, big ACEST event yeah we up. have a uh, big uh, research days at UBC is uh, is a big slice event and uh, they've tapped uh, ACEST to uh, to do some student involvement in that so I'll be doing a lot <laughs> so of so if you promo. are listening to this and you are a slice student Allie will be hitting you up to volunteer <laughs> for research day help me um, it's really, really fun. It's it's a great event. And uh, yeah, so that's what I mean by trying to get involved in, like, I will, of course, do my coursework. That's not going to be an issue. And it's going to be <laughs> difficult. Oh, because the other course I'm taking, of course, is cataloging. Uh -huh, which so, we are taking together. That is my very last library science course. Oh, it's my only cataloging. formal course this term. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cataloging. I'm really excited about it. We have mm -hmm. an amazing cataloging professor at UBC, mm -hmm, and Dr. Aaron Loreline. He is so enthusiastic that it is completely infectious. Yeah, and um, very, very supportive of students and of students exploring topics like this one. So it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to yeah. be really interesting. There's a lot of controversy about whether you should take cataloging. The uh, instructors who are teaching... Um, project management this term mm -hmm. were mocking me the other day and when I ran into them in the hallway <laughs> um, about how I should be taking project management with them and not cataloging unless <laughs> cataloging is mandatory now or something but, um, <laughs> they were mostly kidding but but there is sort of a you know do we need this skill or not anymore but it's such an important thing to be able to understand even if mm -hmm. you're never going to work as a cataloger if you're going to try and get a management position, which I think both of us are gunning for oh, eventually, yeah. mm -hmm. then you need to understand the people who work under you who are doing these things. You know, and you also, I, I also read a lot of the interviews from things like hiring librarians. And one of the questions they ask quite often is, what is the class that people should be taking at library school? And almost all of them do say cataloging is something mm -hmm. that you should be taking. Um, you know, and there are, of course, other opinions. But It's such um, a great, I mean, you know, maybe we'll have different opinions at the end of the term, but mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's a great catch-all because it is this really hard, tangible skill that you'll go away with. Mm -hmm. And then it's also this sort of crash course in the history of librarianship because mm -hmm. it is a thing that librarians have been doing since there were formal librarians. Yeah. And so it's important to understand that way. And it'll be really interesting, too, to uh, because this is the first, I think this is the first term that he'll actually be teaching RDA as mm -hmm. well as AAC. Are too. Uh, we have new cataloging standards mm -hmm. that have just become uh, sort of the accepted norm because of the nature of digital cataloging and how we don't have to necessarily save space anymore because um, everything is digital and space isn't mm -hmm. as much yeah, of an so issue. There's a lot of debate about what should be an access point and what shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And yeah, works, so. manifestations, and expressions. <laughs> we'll learn more about that this term. So yeah, that should be a really good time, that class. Hard yeah. time, but a good time. But a good time, yeah. Uh, there was a comment from that that Dr. Loreline shared with us from a student in a previous course saying that the cataloging as a course was twice as much work as a normal slice course, but you learn about twice as much. Yeah, that sounds like a really good way to end out this degree, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So we'll uh, we'll keep you all posted on that. Well, what else are you taking? You're just taking cataloging. Uh, I'm just taking cataloging. You lazy. So for the rest of the time, I'll be working, I think, probably close to full time if you add all the hours together. So I'll be in the research commons at UBC. If you're a grad student looking for citation management or data <laughs> management or thesis formatting help, come and see us. Um, and so I'll be working there on a co-op till the end of the term. I'll be working at the Vancouver Public Library doing some of the programming and learning work that I was talking about in, in the, earlier in this segment. And uh, I'll be working on Ask Away. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, I'll be looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll keep you posted on that, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping for a great term and more professional development events as they come up. I know that mm-hmm. the BCLA conference is in the spring, as is the BCLA annual general meeting meeting which I was planning to attend so um, if there's other cool professional experience things that we do well this term will we'll be sure to let you know mm-hmm. and you let us know if you Please find do. out about anything interesting going on here or elsewhere yeah we about. would love it if you as a student or a professional would write in and talk about your favorite professional develop event uh, development events that you go to and participate in that would be lovely indeed <laughs> Well, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. It's, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's nice to be back on your couch and instead of my dad's weird hulking office full of strange Russian tchotchke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did our um, episode with Theo from my mom's office. <laughs> less Russian tchotchkes and more lots of like Sesame Street figurines and interesting posters. Good thing that's not 70s creepy. feminism. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have a little bit of cool news from the Twitterverse. Uh, if you've been not paying attention to our social media as much as we have, which, let's face it, you probably shouldn't because that would be weird. <laughs> Mary. Um, so uh, Steve Librarian, at Steve Librarian on Twitter, who is uh, the host of the Circulating Ideas, another great library-themed podcast, um, he named us as one of his favorite library-themed podcasts on the yeah, air today. That was great. Uh, so he uh, put out a little call for other people to share library-themed podcasts that they... Um, enjoy listening to and he mentioned us so both because of that and also because he mentioned some other interesting podcasts that Mm -hmm. you should check out you should definitely follow him on twitter yeah he's really great we also had a little bit of interaction with uh at the geeky comic Mm -hmm. on twitter who's a friend of yours i believe yeah that's my friend pete over in london Mm -hmm. um and he was commiserating with us about not having an episode in the first week of the year which evidently there is a podcasting law against so it's a good thing we didn't do it it's illegal Mm -hmm. i'm glad i'm glad that we just kind of fell in into that and that we didn't you know violate the laws of podcasts it just shows how natural we are at this it's just (laughs) um i haven't actually checked out pete's newest podcast yet but it's called the rather awful doctor who episode guide and (laughs) there is nobody i know at least who knows more about doctor who or can be as funny about doctor who as pete so i'm sure it's probably a really good time i need to check it out and i think you guys probably should too if you're into that kind of thing and you were the one who started the tumblr to begin with so what's going on on tumblr uh tumblr is doing great we've got lots of fans fantastic folks on there talking back and forth with us about various library and not so library things mm-hmm. we're up to 231 followers mm-hmm. which is fantastic and uh, we put out a call after our new year's resolutions for other people's library or literary or other new year's resolutions and we did get one submission uh from plump lover blog who says that with the coming of 2014 he wants to solidify the changes that started at various times in his life but haven't really taken effect so mm-hmm. he's going to try not to allow the effects of past anger anguish and fear to impede him and that's really really well put i think we're probably all trying to do that this year so good luck to him for sure um and yeah i think that's probably about it for social media Mm -hmm. feel free to drop us a line on any of the above or Mm -hmm. more you can find them all at sslibrarianship.com yeah and we are at sslibrarianship on twitter and on tumblr if you want to get in touch with any of us particularly specifically for any reason uh sam is at spinning sam on twitter Allie is at bulbasoria Mm mm-hmm And I guess with that, really all that's left is to thank the wonderful Jonathan Colton once more (laughs) for the use of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart. Um, I don't know if he's got anything new coming down the pipe anytime soon. That's true. And actually, if you guys haven't checked that one out, that is a lot of fun. It's Mm -hmm. called One Christmas at a Time. It's him and John Roderick from The Long Winters and Roderick on the Line, which I've talked about before. And I listen to it over and over again this Christmas. (laughs) So if you're still in the mood for Christmas music, really, really good one. So yeah, well, I guess I could talk a little bit about what's coming up for us in 2014 this year. We should have some super fantastic guests on. We're uh, trying to line up some Mm -hmm. great people for you guys. So um, 
we've got them we've got them clamoring and beating down the door we've got quite (laughs) a few quite a few guests that are going to be on in the coming weeks and we hope you're going to enjoy every single one of them so stick with us uh everybody be uh, be happy be healthy be safe in this cold or if you're in the southern hemisphere the warm I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, I mean, <laughs> we're complaining about the rain, but if you're in the polar vortex, yes. be, be very careful and very safe. Do you think that the polar vortex in a Sharknado would ever occur? I think I saw an ad for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's called Arctic Sharks. Really? Yeah. I'm not even kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll put a link to that trailer <laughs> in the show notes, too. But in all seriousness, it's been pretty crappy back east. So. Yeah. Do stay safe and stay indoors if you can possibly help. And have some hot cocoa because that's delicious. And as always, we will see you on the proverbial flip side. We have a little bit of news from the Twitterverse this time. If we're mm-hmm. going to catch up with our social media junk. <laughs> <laughs>